What's up, kinfolk? Welcome to the number one college football show. I am your host, RJ Young. Thank you for watching on the Fox Sports app, YouTube, or listening wherever you get your podcast. Today, we have a loaded show for you. We're going to talk about Deion Sanders, Colorado, and trying to move a game to week zero. We're going to get into ranking the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame inductees, which means I have to say nice things about Tim Tebow. You'll want to stick around for that. We're also going to get into Brian Hartline becoming the offensive coordinator at Ohio State, a quarterback transition, who I think is going to be leading the charge and or what the Derby is going to look like and what can we expect from Ohio State in 2023. But first, we got to talk about Michigan. And, you know, if you're watching it, look here. You see that I got the blue the blue suit on. You see I got the white button up on. You also see I got the silver tie on. Because how about them Cowboys? Hey, hey, look here, look here. I know it's college football. I know that normally we don't go into the NFL unless it's draft season. But doggone it, we want a playoff game on the road for the first time since 1992. All right, all right. I'm about to be insufferable. The GOAT, put, put, put the GOAT down. Okay, I don't give a damn what we do on Sunday against the Niners. I want to win a Super Bowl, be my first one in this 21st century. But right now, we're going to celebrate. We're going to act accordingly, right? We're going to wear our colors, and we're going to be loud, and we're going to be proud. All right, just like those Go Blue folks over there in the maze and blue. Okay, so off the rip here, on Monday, University of Michigan President Santa Ono tweeted, I just got a phone with Jim Harbaugh, or Coach Harbaugh, excuse me, and Jim shared with me the great news that he – is going to remain as head coach of the Michigan Wolverines. That is fantastic news that I have communicated to our athletic director, Ward Manuel, hashtag go blue. Now, for those of you that are living underneath that particular rock, Jim Harbaugh has once again flirted with the idea of once again becoming an NFL head coach. He did this following the 21 season and following the 22 season. And we've kind of gotten used to this. As a matter, of fe- matter of fact, up there around uh, Ann Arbor, it's known as Harbury because, you know, January, February is Harbury because you never know what Jim Harbaugh is going to do in the months of January, February. Will he or won't he become an NFL head coach or remain as the head coach for the Michigan Wolverines? And there's lots of speculation as to why Jim Harbaugh loves the NFL, has always loved the NFL. And when he got his opportunity to coach in the NFL, he's really damn good at it, right? Coach a team to the Super Bowl where he got to play against his brother's team, John Harbaugh's team, and it was great, right? I really enjoyed that 49ers team. And then since going to Michigan, it didn't always go well, all right? So this brings me up to 2020, which is basically the last time we have to talk about Jim Harbaugh's football team not being the best team in the Big Ten. But following the 2020 season, I think it's important to note, his contract was restructured, okay? 2021, his his contract was basically cut in half, right? He made $4 million guaranteed money, and then $4 million in incentive if he had benchmarked. And some of those benchmarks included things like winning the Big Ten title, something that Michigan had not done since 2004 before they got it done in 21. And this part I got from the AP, and I'm going to quote it at length so everybody's on game. Michigan can buy out Harbaugh's contract $4 million if it decides to fire him without cause after the 21 season. And the amount is reduced to $1 million each of the following three years. Harbaugh, meanwhile, would owe the university $2 million if he leaves after the 21 season, a figure that is reduced by 500 grand each of the following three years. Now, you'll know that coming off of that two and four season 2020, they also did not play the game, which is another way of saying the Buckeyes have not beat the Michigan Wolverines since we were in a literal plague. And then you have what was really unprecedented for Michigan and the Wolverines in 21, when not only 
did they beat Ohio State for the first time in his tenure, but they won the Big Ten title in short succession and made their first trip to the college football playoff. Now, they lose that game to Georgia, but they come back in the 22 season. They have really this man who had been taking NFL interviews on signing day, national signing day, only to find out he didn't get the job and then was going to, you know, go to his plan B, as it turned out to be, Michigan, where he had lost both of his coordinators on the offensive and defensive side and really had a QB competition that wasn't actually decided. We really didn't know what we had in Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards nationally. I'm sure the folks at Michigan knew exactly what they had, and we'll tell you that up front. But they'll also note Aiden Hutchinson's gone, right? David Ajabo's gone, right? You're thinking, or I'm thinking, they're retooling everything, okay? So they go through their non-conference, which is booty, but they go 3-0, and and then they start to knock down Big Ten opponents when it really matters. And they win the Big Ten championship again. They beat Ohio State on the road back-to-back years, and they acquit themselves well, right, all up until they got beat by a Texas Christian in a college football playoff where we're still wondering what the hell happened in that game based entirely on Georgia beating the hell out of Texas Christian by the largest margin ever in a bowl game. It is the worst stomping anybody's ever had in a bowl game, period. Not national championship, bowl game. Somehow Michigan lost to that team. Now, I say all that to say, now that we know from the president's mouth that Jim Harbaugh is back, and Jim Harbaugh also went through you know, the motions of sending another I'm still committed tweet, right, referencing the president of the university and not the athletic re- director of the university. You can imply a lot here, right? This contract that he was on after 21, Somebody else would have been like, that's a prove-it contract. Is that really what you want for Michigan, which is a blue-blood program and one of the prize programs in college football? Well, if you're Jim Harbaugh, and I like to think that any of us would feel this way if we're at work, if we achieve the benchmarks laid out for us, and not only achieve them, we destroy them two times in a row, we would like to be treated like, you know, stars. We would like to be feted. I, I have brought you fire, Right? I mean, you walk into the office naked from the front, okay? And nobody says nothing because you that dude now, right? It's you. And after what they were able to do, especially against Ohio State on the road, yeah, man, you should have been doing everything you can just to back a truck up to that man's house and say, I'm sorry, we doubted you. We should have never doubted you. Please remain as our head coach. And I think President succeeded in getting that message across from Michigan's vaunted alumni and fan base, right? And now that we know that this is done, or we think it's done, right? We, we think it's done. As done as it can be for Jim Harbaugh, who doesn't have an agent, which makes this all really, really interesting because he's the guy making phone calls. He's the guy looking at your offers and coaching the football team. What does it mean for Michigan? It means that you'll notice that in my top 25, right? My way too early top 25 comes out the day after the national championship game. I got him ranked number two. I think the worst they're going to be ranked is number three when we get to the preseason polls in August because at this point, Doubt Michigan at your own peril. That includes me, right? I learned a hard lesson last year. It don't really matter because the kids will come out there and say, RJ, we've seen what you said, and we're going to give you all of this to chew on, okay? We are going to retool the offensive line, and we're going to have the best offensive line in football again. We got Blake Corm coming back in a year where many of us thought he could be a first-round draft pick, along with Donovan Edwards, who closed out the season. Damn near putting up 200 yards rushing the game for the guy in Texas Christian. Even then, he was able to break off those long runs, right? You have a J.J. McCarthy who is going into what I think is going to be a prime Heisman season for him as an upperclassman. You also are going to keep both sets of coordinators. Nobody got poached this time. Who's going to stop them? 
Now, Ohio State is going to be there. I think Penn State can be there too because I think Drew Allar can be for Penn State what J.J. McCarthy was for Michigan. He's that guy that can get them over the top. They got the tailbacks coming back. They know who they are on defense. They're not really going to miss Joey Porter Jr. the way that some might because they're just that deep at DB. And Manny Diaz has that defense playing well. All the same, right now, the Big Ten belongs to the maize and blue until someone else comes through. Which leads me from Michigan to that other team in the Big Ten East, the Ohio State Buckeyes. So you'll know that last Friday, Ryan Day made the move we all thought was going to happen after Kevin Wilson decided to become a head coach at Tulsa in elevating passing game coordinator, wide receiver coach Brian Hartline to the position of offensive coordinator. Fantastic move for Ohio State and the Buckeyes. You'll also know I have been leading the charge on Brian Hartline as a star in this sport. I wrote about this, and you can read about it at foxsports.com, about 1,500 words, getting into what Brian Hartline's elevation means for the Buckeyes and how this positions them. We're going to talk about it just a little bit and linked here too. I say that I have been leading the charge on Brian Hartline because one, it's true. And two, I did this with Marcus Freeman too, guys. I was doing it when he was at Fitz coordinator at Cincinnati because position coaches are kind of my thing. And the guys that are really good at this, they're really easy to spot too, right? That doesn't make me any sort of seer. It just means I love the sport and I'm paying attention because if you're looking at Brian Hartline, you're also looking at his wide receivers. They played most of the season without the most talented wide receiver in the sport in Jackson Smith and Jigba. And all they did was produce a Bolitnikoff Award finalist in Marvin Harrison Jr. Along with Emeka Egbuka being what I thought was the best all-purpose player this side of Deuce Vaughn, right? Above the Mason-Dixon line, it was Emeka Egbuka, right? You're also looking at Julian Fleming still coming into his own. And down the line, Brian Hartline has been able to do this. And then you look up, and the two dudes that he put in the first round of the NFL draft, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, are also the first two rookie wide receivers in the NFL this season to hit over 1,000 yards receiving at their respective places, the Saints and, of course, New York Jets. So it's not just that he is a great evaluator and recruiter of talent because it's one thing to say that guy's good. It's another thing to get him on the campus. It's another thing to keep him on campus and then to turn him into the first-round draft pick. It is that he's doing this over and over and over again, okay? So. I'm looking at this, and there are a couple of questions that come up with the offensive coordinator title, and I think I'm going to go ahead and put this to bed. Ryan Day's calling the plays, all right? Kevin Wilson didn't call the plays. He's offensive coordinator, started tight ends coach, became offensive coordinator. Ryan Day became the head coach, and he needs somebody that was going to get in the film room with him and help him select a play sheet each and every week, right? I think Brian Hartline's going to be able to do that, number one, because passing game coordinator. Number two, because he's been that good at putting his guys into positions to succeed. And not every time, you know, they go out there and have gangbuster games. Sometimes he's having to have these conversations on the sideline with guys like Omega Booga, like, why'd you leave C.J. Stroud hanging out to dry on that play? A couple of times that has happened. Now, I also think that it's important to ask this question. Is Hartline, right, more likely to stay at Columbus now that he's an offensive coordinator as opposed to a wide receiver coach. I think so. But also, when his name was fiery, right, as to somebody's going to hire this man away, he went out of his way to send a tweet saying, hey, look, I'm a Buckeye. I want to stay a Buckeye. I'm happy to be a Buckeye. I'm going to be a Buckeye. And then he got elevated, right? What I think is more interesting about this is how long will he stay? Right. So let's assume let's assume the best in things in the world happen for Ohio State Buckeyes is I want the best thing in the world to happen for your football program. They run the table. They win a national championship. What is to stop a guy like Brian Hartline from taking another job? Nothing. 
but it really got to depend on the job because being 1A, you know, or 1B, depending on how you want to view a defensive coordinator, at Ohio State is still a much better job than being a head coach at a group of five level where you're really going to have a fight and claw for everything you get, right? I'm not thinking that Ryan Hartline wants to get up off of his seat to go be the head coach, I don't know, at uh, BFE University, right? I think being the guy at, a, at Columbus where he played his college ball, where he caught passes from a Heisman winner, where he has developed talent, where his name means that much more is a cush job and a really great job. But he's going into a season now where they have to evaluate the quarterbacks. This is going to be interesting, right? Because unless something catastrophic happens, and I don't think it will, C.J. Stroud is going to get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft, okay? He announced Martin Luther King Day. He's going in. That means that we're going to have a QB derby between Kyle McCord, Devin Brown going in 2023 to see who the starter is going to be. And whoever the starter is going to be, probably going to be a first-round draft pick because that's what every starting quarterback for Ryan Day has been since he got there as an OC in 28 or 2017. It's like that. You know what I'm saying? Like Dwayne, Heisman winner, right? Or excuse me, Heisman winner. Uh, first-round draft pick. Many people thought he should have won the Heisman. That's Baker's Heisman. And then that was Kyler's Heisman, so forth, so on. And then you got Justin Fields who transfers in from Georgia, right? Now we're on to C.J. Stroud. I think when I'm looking at this, I'm also asking two questions. Should C.J. have gone? Absolutely. Like, I put this question out on the tweets, and I got hundreds of people that responded to it. I should say hundred, Over 100 people responded to it. And then who knows what traffic it got for college football on Fox, which has a Twitter following that is gargantuan. But. The point is, how many of y'all thought that C.J. Stroud should, you know, go to the NFL draft where top five picks probably going to make $35 million guaranteed? And I was floored by the number of people that thought he should stay to collect NIL money, which is wild because I don't care how much money you think you're going to make, name, image, and likeness. We're talking about first round NFL draft money, not sixth, seventh round NFL draft money, okay? It's really cut and dry there. You really want to go to the NFL just as soon as they're likely to have you. And there's nothing else for him to prove at that level. If anything, he would have come back because he had not beat Michigan as a starting quarterback and he had not won a Big Ten title or a national championship. And I think he, more than anybody else, understands those facts are going to follow him forever. And that is really underscoring what it means to him to be a Buckeye. Because it's not, it, for you and I, I think, for those of us that aren't Buckeyes, it's simple arithmetic for me. Yeah, I didn't win those games. I wanted to win those games. I, everything. I had to go in those games. But right now, I got to go get this money, okay? I got to go get this life-changing, generational money, all right? That means a little bit more to me than having one more chance to go win a college football game at this juncture in my life after I haven't got it done twice in a row, okay? But that he was even thinking about it shows what he believes about the scarlet and gray and what he knows it has helped him do for the rest of his life, right? That's one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is they know what they have in Kyle McCord and they know that Devin Brown is going to be that guy. And they know that CJ is going to get a first round draft pick. So let's just keep the train moving. So let's pivot, right, to who's going to be the starting quarterback at Ohio State in 23. Well, as I mentioned, Devin Brown, redshirt freshman versus Kyle McCord, right? Redshirt sophomore. And I really got this one kind of whittled out, right? It's quarterback derby. 
And I'm not going to count Devin Brown out, and I don't think you should either. Before Ryan Day names a starter, I don't think he's going to name a starter until a couple of weeks before they have their week one game. However, as I said, I wrote about this over at foxsports.com. One of the things that I want to impress upon you is that the guy that has the best chemistry with the best wide receiver on the team has had the best chemistry with the best wide receiver on the team for several years now, and that is Kyle McCord, all right? So, um, man, look at Javion. Look at this graphic. If you're not looking at this graphic, you should be looking at this graphic. Stop the podcast. Go check, get, go check this graphic out on the podcast because Javion did a fantastic job outlining what it is like for Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison Jr. to be a tandem. So they went to St. Joseph's Preparatory School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. While they were there, they both set city records and they won championships. Like, I got the numbers right here in front of me. Their final game is 6A state title. McCord completed 21 to 28 passes for 336 yards. Eight of those completions were to Harrison Jr., who finished with 156 yards receiving in a 62 to 13 shellacking of Central York. Now, both left Philly with city records for career passing yards, career pass TDs, and career receiving yards and career receiving TDs, respectively. And they are not small numbers. We're talking about damn near 7,000 yards passing from McCord with 88 TDs. We're talking about over 2,600 receiving yards for Marvin Harrison Jr., 37 tutties. So if Marvin Harrison Jr.'s play in 2022 can in any way be indicative of Kyle McCord's future play, 2023 or 2024, it's a problem, guys. It's a problem because that's the kind of tandem that they are now drafting into the NFL. Think about it this way. Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, everybody said, man, why would we do that? Well, because they were pretty damn good together at LSU. Let's put them back together and see what we got. Oh, let's walk into the Super Bowl as the doggone Cincinnati Bengals. Now, no disrespect to the Bengals fans out there, right? Y'all got my man Dax Hill putting off toast on. Y'all the Bengals, okay? All right, let's do it again. Let's go with Tua Tagovailoa, Miami. <laughs> Jalen Waddle to the mix. How about that? My God. They make the playoffs, right? And we got to look at Skylar Thompson. No disrespect. Can't stay. Stand up. Skylar Thompson as starting quarterback Miami. If Tua was out there, you know what it's going to be. You know what it was like. That's what you have at Ohio State right now. And I've already got Ohio State fans in my mentions lamenting that they'll only get to play one year together. Yo, man, one year is enough, all right? You get one year out of this tandem right here, and they do what I think they can do. It's a problem, and it's going to be so much fun to watch because it's not just Marvin Harrison Jr., right? It is Julian Fleming. It is Mecca And then I'll add in this, back to the heartline piece of it, three of the top four recruits in the 2023 class are wide receivers. Brandon Ennis, hello, played in American Heritage. His coach, Pat Sertan Sr., who's now DB coach at Florida State. Hello. Carnell Tate. Oh, yeah. He just finished up at IMG Academy. Hello. I'm trying to tell y'all. Like, it's not slowing down up there. They have gone from being a peak running and offensive line team. Eddie George won the Heisman Trophy. Zeke being Zeke. Also, the introduction of the pancake as a statistic because Orlando Pace was that damn good. To a, we're going to air it out. We are going to get after it like Maverick leading a bunch of the F-18s into a valley to go hit a bullseye the size of my pinky, okay? That's what they got going on over there. And that's one of the reasons why we have our expectations so high. 
And finally on the Ohio State bit, you watched the national championship game and you're seething. You have to be. You heard Kirby Smart say, we're going to go hunt. And you're seething. You have to be. You saw Kirby Smart go not one, but two. And you're seething. And you have to be. Because you know you had them dead rights. Look, Stetson Bennett was in a victory parade. He had a uh, sweatshirt said, them dogs is hell. Yeah, all right. But Ohio State gave them hell. We got Georgia celebrating winning that championship over a missed field goal at midnight. And one of the best timeouts in the history of the sport. And that's without Marvin Harrison Jr. playing the second half of the game. I, there's no trade down Henderson there either. There's no Jackson Smith and Jigba. If you're Ohio State, you're going, get us back. Let, get, get, get us back. Run it back because we got the measure of them. All right? We took your best shot. It's your house in Atlanta, down the street from Athens, where it was bleeding dog red. And you are celebrating. Kicker having a bad day. Nerves getting to him. What have you? Fine. All right? You got to deal with this if you're Ohio State. You got to deal with everybody who's come below the Mason-Dixon line has been stepped on since 2014. You got to deal with that. Right? You got to deal with Alabama and Georgia saying, yes, but when it comes to playing time, who wins? When it comes to championship time, who wins? You got to deal with that. And now you got to deal with Michigan saying, well, actually, we're the best team above the Mason-Dixon line. I can't wait to see what Ohio State looks like because you passed me mad. You can't be mad anymore. Mad doesn't work for you. Humility, quiet aggression, controlled anger, controlled fury. I want to see what you got. We'll see what you got. Man, it's January. I'm already excited for September. Let's get after it, dog. All right. Let's move on from the Ohio State topic. Get back to my rundown here. To, well, what I think is more an interesting changing of the guard, not changing the guard, changing of the narrative in Dabo Sweeney and Clemson. Dabo Sweeney going out to get Garrett Riley to be offensive coordinator at Clemson is not as big a deal as how that happened. All right. So <laughs> I love this. In the rundown, uh, producer Tyler rarely uses both the question mark and the exclamation point. That's that's usually an RJ thing they put in the rundown, but it says Dabo Sweeney did what? Because the point here is that he fired his offensive coordinator, longtime quarterback coach Brandon Streeter on Thursday and hired TCU offensive coordinator Garrett Riley a day later. This is seismic because Dabo does not fire his guys. They go take other jobs, and he wishes them well. But he had been very, very clear from the beginning that he is promoting from within. You come to Clemson to be a part of Clemson. And he kept that not just with his roster, but with his coaching staff. So when you saw guys like Tony Elliott and Jeff Scott, or even Chad Morris take other jobs, he always elevated from within. Brendan Vittles goes to Oklahoma. He elevates Wes Goodwin. Well, this year, for the second year in a row, the offense wasn't very good. Now, there are all sorts of reasons as to why the offense wasn't very good, even though Will Shipley was. And Cade Klubnick, when he did play well, played exceedingly well. When DJ Uwe Ungalale couldn't put it back together, that was a red flag for me. But I'm looking at Cade Klubnick going, well, you got another one that he's on. You also have to remember that Dabo and Clemson have benefited from two generational talented quarterback, Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence has become so good, he could throw four interceptions in one football game against the, brand, the Brandon Staley Los Angeles Chargers down 27-0, go get a 31-30 win. That's just who Trevor Lawrence turned out to be, okay? 
We all know what kind of football player Deshaun Watson was, and we can leave it there. The point to raise here, though, is Brandon Streeter is not just offensive coordinator at Clemson, right? Or a guy that's been around on the coach staff for a long time. He's a former quarterback at Clemson, 95 to 99, and had been an assistant on the staff for the past seven years. For Dabo Sweeney to make that decision, to fire his guy one year after he got the play calling duties, signals just how dire he believed the situation could be at Clemson, even after they won double-digit games again this season. So in hiring the Broyles Award winner, Garrett Riley, you also have a guy who's probably going to get carte blanche to take a look at the rest of the offensive staff and get who he wants to get and make what changes he thinks are necessary. I think the only thing that you can be sure that Garrett Riley is going to keep is Cade Klubnik. After that, it's all up for grabs, man. And it also means you're bringing somebody into your culture that wasn't raised into your culture. And I'm really interested to see whether the system accepts this new tissue or rejects it. Because there's no guarantee either way. Now, Garrett Riley, it should be said, is every bit the offensive genius that you want him to want to believe he is. It's not just what he has done at Texas Christian. It's what he did at Southern Methodist. And by the way, had a short stint as a running backs coach at Appalachia State. So he understands running the football at the same level that his brother Lincoln does. Both of those guys got started as quarterbacks at Texas Tech. Both of those guys coming out of Moshu, Texas. Very similar in the play calling that they use. Very similar in the hand signals they use. They be out here, you know, throwing up these signals and whatnot where I'm like, man, is you, you doing ASL out there? Nah, but everybody seems to understand what they're doing, all right? I'm also interested to see what it means for Dabo moving forward because this is a guy who has been very loud about how much he dislikes modern football. Modern football meaning doesn't like transfer portal, okay? Doesn't like name, image, and likeness, or at least doesn't like the money around name, image, and likeness, put it that way, okay? He also doesn't like the idea that the sport is growing more professional all while you make $95 million as a head coach. But as much as I see hypocrisy there, it ain't my program. It's his, and it's the city of Clemson's, and all those folks that call themselves Clemson Tigers. I do believe that even a guy like that, who wants to believe that the sport will stay the same, acknowledging that he has to keep up with the Joneses, tells you every single thing you need to know about football, about college football. Like Nick Saban is the guy who came out in front of a press conference and said, yeah, so all of this stuff that the offense or the defense is doing that gives them an advantage, let's, let's, give an, let's give an example here, where you can go hurry up and fast, right? When the defense doesn't have an opportunity to sub out, to, where we don't have stoppages in play, like really, where we're basically playing pick it up and go, that what you want the sport to be? Fine. He adapts, he makes it work for him. You said you want the transfer portal. Cool. He went in there, got out the guys he wanted, made it good for him. He's the first guy to say Bryce Young is making a million dollars name image and likeness. He understands the business that he's in while also, you know, quietly rebelling against it. He's going along with it. I think that's who Dabo Sweeney is now. Okay. It's, it's not necessarily what he's saying anymore. It's what he's doing. So as the portal becomes something that he can go and exploit, he will. As other offensive assistants and defensive assistants, for that matter, come to something he can exploit, he will. Because the name of the game is winning. Are you doing enough to win? You can raise hell if you want to, but only if you're winning, okay? And I think that's what this says. I mean, last thing to say on that is, 
I, I screw up my face when some folks think of this as cold-blooded or cold-hearted on Dabo's part because, you know, he did let go a guy that he helped raise and a guy who is going to be a Clemson Tiger forever. I'm also saying that's what the money's for with my Don Draper voice because that's what the sport is. You don't like that being the sport. I'm sorry. That's what it's going to be for the foreseeable future. Okay. Let's go from Clemson and what Dabo Sweeney has done in bringing in a Garrett Riley to what I think is a more interesting conversation in the Pac-12. What Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, tried to do at Colorado. Okay. So I wrote this piece last week, FoxSports.com. I didn't think it was going to get a whole hell of a lot of traction, but it ended up being one of the most read things on the website. And the topic was, why would Deion Sanders attempt to schedule a Colorado game for week zero? Now, at the time, Kirk Herbstreet probably spoke out of turn when he said, hey, they're not going to open against Texas Christian next year during, you know, college football game day when, when they're doing their show before the national championship. They're probably going to open against Arizona State in week zero. So naturally, we all got ears. We go and we want to go check that out. Okay, what are they thinking here? Turns out, Prime went to Killy Den- Kenny Dillingham, new head coach of Arizona State, said, what do you think about moving our game to week zero? Why would they want to do that? Because have you seen these week zero slate of games? That's number one, right? All right. So let me, let me, uh, look at this week zero. We got the tweet up right here. So I'm going to read the tweet. Week zero, 2023, Hawaii at Vanderbilt. Now nah, I'm good. Idaho State at San Diego State. UMass at New Mexico. Navy at Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland. FIU at La Tech. UTEP at Jacksonville State. Yeah, man. If you put Arizona State versus Colorado on that slate of games, you have my undivided attention. Because week zero is notoriously a bad week of football. But there is reason for this. The week zero was first implemented for schools that are playing Hawaii and for Hawaii itself. Those of you that have been fortunate enough to fly to Hawaii know that it is an eight-hour flight to the mainland and back again. A full damn day's work. Knowing that and knowing what it costs to travel, they had put in what they call the Hawaii exemption in the NCAA bylaws, which basically said you could build in a cushion for both teams who had scheduled Hawaii. And in building that, in that cushion, you could play a game a week earlier than the rest of college football. But this rule was first exploited by ESPN, Miami, and Florida in 2019. When they looked around, saw somebody had Hawaii on the schedule, and finagled that game into week zero in 2019. Now, this also used to be like the, the, the kickoff classics and whatnot, right? You want to get a week ahead of Labor Day, or even two weeks ahead of Labor Day, so you can be the only thing on television, and you can take advantage of a captive audience that wants its football, but also wants good football. Now, Arizona State and Colorado tried to get this game past the Football Oversight Committee. Producer Tyler, can you put up that tweet once again? because I want to make sure I get this part right. So the football oversight committee has to take a look at why would you want to schedule move your Pac-12 football game to week zero. And it turned out they didn't meet the bar. Number one, neither one of them had scheduled Hawaii. Number two, the exception for the loophole basically meant that you 
Arizona State and Colorado are not meeting the standards set by the exception. You could try, as the Pac-12 did, but we're going to need you to come up with a better reason than we would like to move it. You'd have to claim some sort of hardship. And since there is none for Colorado and Arizona State, there's just the want to take advantage of a loophole in the system. They shut that down. And I think they were correct to do it, but I applaud the effort. The point of the piece and the point, the reason that I'm bringing this to you is this is who you're going to get from Coach Prime. You're going to get a man who, quite as it's kept, is a marketing genius. And I'm going to lay out on this part for just a second. In 1989, Prime, Deion Sanders, signed a contract with the New York Yankees, okay, to play baseball. He took the money, played a little bit of summer ball, triple A, went back to Florida State. But when he went back to Florida State for his final year of football, he was ineligible to be on scholarship because he was, by definition, a professional athlete getting paid by the New York Yankees. So Prime, being the marketing genius that he is and was before his 21st birthday, looked up and said, oh, I'm going to make this work for me. I will walk on at Florida State. But since I am walking on at Florida State, I also am going to call agents. And I'm going to tell them, we are about to go make some money. Because all of the rules around amateurism no longer pertain to me. So I am going to start living the life of a man who got a little money in his pocket. And I am going to take every opportunity to boost my draft stock so that when I go into the NFL draft for that 89 season, excuse me, so 88 into 89, that I will be one of the first five players off the board as a quarterback, which at the time was unprecedented. So he did not play his last year at Florida State on scholarship and bet on himself, introducing the image to name image and likeness. He is the inventor and innovator of all of this. It comes to him. Neon, Dion, prime time. That persona has done so much not just because he's a marketing genius, but because he had the skill to back up every last thing. Man played in the World Series and for the Atlanta Falcons on the same doggone weekend. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's different over there. But he has been really great at seeing the advantage there or seeing the market inefficiency and exploiting it. You'll see he's got all these cameras around at Colorado, Jackson State, because he's got a docu-series where him – and his players are getting shine. You care about Colorado football, not something you could say last year or the year before that. You care about what is going to go down with Coach Prime and Shador Sanders and Shiloh Sanders and Dion Jr. You care to find out if Coach Prime can continue doing what he has done for 15 doggone years, and that is win football games, this time at the highest level of the sport. I, like you, am very invested. And I, like you, cannot wait to see what Colorado is in 2023. Okay, glad that we were able to lay that part out. Because that's going to be something we continue to discuss because, well, I'm a Coach Prime dude. You understand that. We love Coach Prime on the show. Coach Prime has done the show multiple times. Yeah, man, we're going to talk a bunch about what the Colorado Buffaloes are doing or aren't doing. So, yeah, you're going to have me and Joel going at that, knowing that Joel went to Colorado, what not, I understand, quarterback, all of that, right? But you're going to get it from both sides, right? We, we in on this, okay? 
Now, from one talk about college football Hall of Famer, pro football Hall of Famer, one of the best to ever do it, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, let's talk about the 2023 College Football Hall of Fame inductees. And as usual, the list is both long and distinguished. I had to settle there for a second. I had to settle. Hey, RJ, don't get fired. Don't get fired, RJ. Don't get fired. All right. So I ranked what I thought was the top five college football inductees in the 2023 class, okay? And I'm also being consistent because remember, I did this whole big piece about the 10 best college football players of all time like two years ago. So I got to keep to that, all right? So we're going to go from five to one, all right? And I'm going to preface this by saying, in 153 years, there have been 5.62 million people who have played or coached college football. Just 2% have earned selection into the College Football Hall of Fame. 1,074 to date out of 5.62 million people. That's ridiculous. And just to be eligible, you have to have been a first-team All-America selector. Like, you have to have been selected for the first team just to be on the ballot. So everybody that you're going to hear at one time or another was a first-team All-American. Okay. So at number five, I got Boston College linebacker Luke Keekley. Okay, so this is a paragraph over there on National Football Foundation's website that reads like this because it's ridiculous. A two-time first-team All-American unanimous in 2010 and consensus in 2011, Keekley made a clean sweep of national defensive honors in 2011, including the Bronco Nagurski Trophy, the Buckus Award, the Rotary Lombardi Award, and the Lot Impact Trophy after leading all collegiate football players in tackles with 191 in college. My God, 102 that were solo. 2010, he had 183, right? He was a freshman All-America in 09 when he had 158, 87 solo. He had 532 career tackles in three years of football. That's ridiculous. 14 tackles per game. Number one in NCAA history at 7.87 solo tackles per game. That's second in the NCAA annals. Good Lord. But that's not even, that's that's the stats, right? People that know from Luke Keekley will tell you that man was renowned for walking up to the line of scrimmage and yelling out the play that the offense was going to run. Crap, crap. Wait, how the hell does he know that? <laughs> hey, dive, dive, Thomas, dive. How the hell does he know that? Because the man ate film. Like all that stuff that you love from your favorite college football announcer or analyst, Joel Klatz of the world that could see the play before the play and tell you what's going to happen and immediately pick it right back up and explain to you just what happened. He was doing that in the middle of the game and making a tackle. All right? I'd be so upset and so mad and so angry if I was quarterback. Because how am I going to get out of this? You know what I mean? There's nothing for me to do. We just got to run the play now. That was who Luke Keekley was. A lot of fun watching that man play football, both at Boston College and in the NFL. Okay, number four on the list, Tennessee defensive back Eric Berry. Now, I remember Eric Berry because Eric Berry was a no-fly zone as a safety, which is real difficult to, to undertake because, frankly, you are responsible for run before you're responsible for pass, and this man can still do both. 2007 freshman All-American. 2008 unanimous first-team All-American SEC Defensive Player of the Year at Tennessee, had seven interceptions in that 08 season and also could come downhill just like that and destroy whomever the ball carrier was. Also, shout-out to Halle Berry. 
And now my one of my favorite rap songs. I'm not going to do it here because I don't want to put nobody out on blast. But that's who Eric Berry was. 2009 Thorpe Award winner. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyway. Number three on the list for me, Texas linebacker Derek Johnson. Now, you'll know that we did RJ's college football Legends of the Game, sponsored by Discover. And one of the first one of these vignettes that I was able to do, wrote a script for, interview for it, was Derek Johnson on the 40 Acres, Austin, Texas. This dude was my favorite linebacker in high school because he played inside linebacker the way that most people play outside linebacker. He could come off the ball, he'd get into the backfield, and he would take the ball away from you, okay? Buckets Award winner, Bronco Nagurski Award winner, 03, he was a consensus All-American. 04, he was a unanimous All-American, two-time first-team All-American. And still, is tied for the most forced fumbles in a single season with nine record he set in 04. And nobody's gotten over the top of that in 153 years. Outstanding player. Number two on the list, Florida quarterback, Tim Tebow. Quarterback on one of the great teams of college football, period, 2008 Florida Gators. I still maintain if DeMarco Murray was healthy, that game goes a little bit differently for my Oklahoma Sooners. But you know what? 22-game win streak, he was the dude. Heisman Trophy winner, he was the dude. It's one thing to be a Heisman Trophy winner. It's another thing to be the quarterback on a Florida Gators team that nobody felt good about playing ever. Matter of fact, Ohio State would tell you what that was like, right? They remember what it was like to play against that 06 Florida team, okay? We're also talking about a team that at one point was looking at Tim Tebow or Cam Newton to be the starting quarterback, which is still ridiculous to me because both of those guys end up being college football Hall of Famers. There's not, there's, there's too much room here, right, for me to say something else about Tim Tebow except to say, yo, man, when you got the dudes that he got and you can still be the guy coming down with the Heisman Trophy, pretty damn good. Stetson Bennett didn't come down with the Heisman Trophy. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying here? All right, number one on the list. Number one on everybody's list, most of our favorite player in the 2003 to 2005 window, the man, USC Trojan running back Reggie Bush. All right. Reggie lost two football games in his entire USC career. Two. Okay. Reggie was the dude closest to Dion in my lifetime, which is another way of saying, I am going to take control of this game because once I get the ball, you will not catch me. I will find a way from here to the end zone. You will not catch me. 7.3 yards per carry average. Average. We're talking about an 04 consensus All-American. We're talking about an 05 unanimous All-American. We're talking about having played in two consecutive national title games. And we're talking about the 05 Heisman Trophy winner. You can put the man in the College Football Hall of Fame. You can't give the man his Heisman. I am the last person in the world to care as much as y'all care about the Heisman Trophy. But damn it, you care. And because you care, it matters. And because it matters, give it back to him. It's going to be a very long time before any of us get to say there is a player that is as exciting, as thrilling as Reggie Bush was 
at USC. And remember, from 03 to 06, SC was Georgia, was Alabama, was everything that you were terrified in the world because they had that dude. Because number five, you could not touch. You could barely put your hands on him. He was a ghost. He was gone. For those of y'all that are on the YouTubes, go ahead and look up his high school film. It's still one of my favorite things to watch when I'm just sitting around because he's out there toying. He's turning his back to the defense. He's faking putting the ball on the ground. That's just who he was. Just who he was. Glad to see the College Football Hall of Fame did not mess this up and put him in. All right. Honorable mentions going on the way out. Kansas State quarterback Michael Bishop, one of my favorite players, period, just to watch play. 1998, he spawned what I think of as the original Cam Newton. Heisman runner-up, 22-3 and as a starter, consensus All-American, won the Davey O'Brien Award, <laughs> got Kansas State to his first ever number two ranking, Kansas State. Got to the New England Patriots. Charlie Weiss looked at him and said, the game is not prepared for you. We do not have a football offense that can take advantage of your skill set. It wouldn't happen that somebody could until Cam Newton got to the league some 10 years later. 12 years, 13 years later. It's ridiculous. Awesome. Ridiculous. Another one that I want to mention on the way out, D'Angelo Williams at Memphis. He was the first group of five dude that I have memory of that people were caping for to win the Heisman Trophy. Okay. And it became a thing at Memphis after that with like guys like Daryl Henderson. Right. 04, Williams set an NCAA record with 34 straight games of 100 yards rushing or more. Finished as the FBS record holder in all purpose yards. 7,573 all-purpose yards is stupid. Ranks fourth all-time in NCAA history. Average 178.55 yards per game as a senior. That was number one nationally at Memphis. And you know what kind of an NFL career he had. Outstanding list of College Football Hall of Fame inductees. Congratulations to all who have made it into this really, really difficult Hall of Fame. All right. That is going to do it for this episode of the number one college football show. My thanks as always to our lead producer, Tyler Wojak. Our senior producer is Catherine Donnelly. Our director is Kyle Holly. My goodness, Javion Duncan saved the show earlier today. Our social media maven. Jack Coakley, Torin Westfall are our lead screening. Hey, uh, congratulations to our new production assistant, Kiara, who has joined the team. Very excited about having her in-house. We will see y'all next week. Deuces.